Journey to Organization, episode 161. Yael Trush and organizing your money. You're listening to the Journey to Organization podcast with Rebecca Saltzman. Advice to help you clear your clutter and your mind. Hello and welcome to the Journey to Organization podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Saltzman, and today I'm chatting with my friend, Yael Trush, the Jewish Latin princess. Yael is the creator of the bilingual Jewish lifestyle blog and weekly podcast for women, the Jewish Latin princess. She's an influencer, communicator, and promoter of a joyful, richer Jewish life, inspiring women all around the globe with her positivity and colorful persona. Yael began a healthy obsession with Judaism while in college, which took her to adopt an increasingly observant lifestyle. Her message to Jewish women is always honest, approachable, and relatable, profound, yet practical. And I'm just going to say, I love her podcast so much. It's one of the few that I actually listen to. Yael's bilingual classes include local and international lectures across the globe, from Guatemala to Shanghai, over a range of topics topics relevant to observant and not yet observant women. As a wife and mother of four children, Yael is dedicated to building a Jewish home, which provides real-life content for her blog, podcast, and new courses for women. She also authors a monthly column, The Jewish Herald Voice, Defining Jewish Women, and contributes regularly to thejewishwoman.org. Yael has a BA in economics and international relations from Tufts University, and an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. A native of San Juan, Puerto Rico, Yael has since globetrotted from New York to Argentina to Chile to China to Israel and back. Welcome, Yael. Hello, it's so great to be here. How are you doing? so glad to have you here. We've been talking about this for a while and we finally are doing it. So let's dive right in. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you got the name Jewish Latin Princess. It's so funny because it ties into my work that I'm doing now with money. I ask people, should I change my brand? They're like, no, 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 no. It works so nicely with financial education. I'm like, really? Okay. So I'll tell you how I got that name. When I first started um, my online presence, let's just say it was, it started as a blog, the blog that, you know, Jewish Latin princes. And originally what I aimed to do there and what I did for many years was to weave spiritual insights into all different areas of life that women love and appreciate, whether it be food, fashion, art, parenting, business, marriage, and everything was always weaved with a spiritual insight. So why the name? Because I was doing a reclaiming, let's just say, of a not so nice stereotype. Yeah. (laughs) Because of the reason that we are, as Jewish women, the daughters of a king, the king, We are princesses and there is a Latin element to my life as I am born in Latin America, right? Which in fact can be misconstrued and people might think, or I've heard people say that Latin women tend to be superficial or oriented towards, you know, physicality and beauty. And there is something to that. However, I strongly believe that it is also rooted in their sensitivity to beauty on a very deep level. So because of that, the Latin thing was still important for me to highlight that that has to do with that aesthetic, that beauty. If we're so sensitive to the physical beauty, it's because we really are very, very much sensitive to the spiritual beauty. And that's been my experience as an educator of Jewish women in general, and specifically Jewish 
Latin women. So that's how the reclaiming of that name came about. Okay. And it stuck. <laughs> it's a good name. I think it's a good name. I like it. <laughs> it was actually, I remember brainstorming it with my husband. I think he came up with it. I, I should give him credit. I'm going to check on that. I think he did. Okay. You'll let us know. Tell us what it was like growing up in Puerto Rico. Sorry oh my for my gosh. bad Spanish. <laughs> it was beautiful. I had an amazing childhood. What can I tell? I mean, my, I mean, what could be better than growing up in an island surrounded by water like 24-7? I grew up in front of the beach. The beach was my backyard. Um, small community small town life yet it was also city life it was beach life it was boating i don't know i loved it i had a great childhood what can i say and i miss it i i don't miss puerto rico per se but i definitely miss the the latin elements the mm -hmm. colors the warmth the the aesthetic the flavors of life and the proximity to water i miss it very mm -hmm. much I hear that. That's why we live where we live in Israel, because we live near mm -hmm. the water. Mm -hmm. um, what is the Jewish community like there? It is small, um, even smaller, I would say now. Um, quite diverse in terms of background, uh, American origin, Cuban origin. Mm -hmm. um, now more than I've been gone for many years. You should know. I, I mean, I left yeah. when I was 17. So it's been a while. But um, in recent years, a lot more Israelis than um, when I was growing up. Huh, interesting. Okay. So talk to us about your passion about money. I know that there's a lot of misconceptions around money in Judaism. Give us your vision on what exactly those misconceptions are and some ways we can resolve them. Yeah. So I think there are a lot of misconceptions around money per se. I don't think there's a misconception about Judaism and money. I think what it is, is that because we live in the world of exile and we are derailed and our vision is derailed, we, one of the things we don't look from a Jewish look at from a Jewish perspective happens to be money, which is something okay. that's so close to us, right? Everybody has a relationship with money, but that relationship and the way we view it has been strongly influenced by other by the other cultures and everything else, right? And I happen to have grown in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a country where the religious environment was very, very strong. So whenever we talk about money and people attach a sense of negativity to money, it just, it just smells of, doesn't smell of Judaism right away. Like there's something not Jewish about it because okay. the truth is Judaism does not deem money neither negative or positive money is a neutral tool that was given by the creator of the world with tremendous potential just okay. like our sexuality is just like our food is right and just like anything that's permissible we have the ability to elevate it or not now having said that of the elements in this world that are physical money is one of those that kind of epitomizes physicality it kind of it has that energy because we make money with all of our work right so it really is that that epitome of like the physical in this world and so from a jewish perspective this is why this is so so important to have such conversations we have to understand that it is charged with tremendous potential to be elevated 
And if we understand that we as Yid, as Jews are in this world to transform this place into a place where the godliness that is inherent in it is revealed. So money is one of those things where you can do it really, really well, or okay. God forbid, not do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I think it behooves all of us to really kind of think about, you know, do I have any handcuffs around money? And I think to, to a certain extent, all of us do, you know, and they come... They come out in, in different ways, whether it be about making more or about sharing more, about how do I don't, I feel uncomfortable charging or I need to increase my prices, but I really shouldn't, right? There's just so many little things like that. And if we start thinking, where's that coming from? Because really God wants us to have money. That's why he put it here. You know why? Because he wants you to do a lot of good stuff with that money, right? Right. So there is no negativity. There is no shame. And it's like there's people who have a lot of money who do not such good things with the money. And then there's people who have a lot of money and do great things with that money. And likewise, you have people who have very little money. And with what they have, they do great things and people who have very little money and are not very nice people either. Right. So <laughs> if we are one of those people who are here in this world to do good, then let's, let's do it with the money that we have. And let's make sure that we get a lot of money so that we can do good. Right. So once I heard you say that money amplifies our personalities, is that what you said? Right. Exactly. I think something like that, where if you're a good person, it amplifies the good in us because when you have more money and you're a good person, you do better things with it. And, and at the same time, it can also amplify a negative trait. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. It has, it has that potential, right? So <laughs> um, I think having a very clear why behind our money and, and just knowing, listen, if I'm here to serve the world and serve God's world, serve my creator and serve his world, the more money I have, the more I can do that, the more lives I can touch. Like think about all the people that you are employing in your business, right? There's your BA, there's your podcast editor, there's this, there's that, the tuition that you're paying. I mean, the amount, the flow that is being created with this beautiful resource, not to mention how it's impacting your family, right? So, right. I mean, it's just so beautiful. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, it's funny because I feel like um, I've been working on money for myself personally, like a lot lately. And I, and I ha was having this conversation with my son the other day where he said to me, he asked me for something. And I said to him, I was like, yeah, just not, I don't, I don't want to do that. And, and he's like, I know we don't have the money. And I'm like, nope, I have the money. That's just not how I want to spend it. And he looked at me and he was like, what, what'd you just say? And I'm like, Money is a wave and it comes to me and money grows on trees because paper, you know, money is paper and paper comes from trees. Right. And then he looks at me and goes, well, your mom, you're made of money. Right. And like, and I was just like, yep, that's me. And there was like this shift between us, which I felt like to me, I don't know to him if it was like a tangible shift, but to me, it was like a really big shift where all of a sudden I just changed his whole outlook on money. And he was bar mitzvahed last year. And we had this whole discussion about like how he had to donate part of his money to, to Tzedakah and we were going to plan it. And I told him that I would, he could spend a certain amount and that I would invest the rest for him. And, you know, we've been talking about it. And he said to us like, 
Well, I don't see you giving Sadaka. And I thought about it and I'm like, when, when he was a baby, I used to sit down like after we got paid and I would write out checks. Like I would save the envelopes till our, till we got paid and I would write these checks and I would put a stamp on them and we'd take them to the post office or whatever. And I would mail out these checks. But now when I give Sadaka, I give it online. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I'm like, here's my credit card number and I give it online. And um, I'm wondering how we can organize that in 2020 or 2021 for, for our kids to see that so we can exemplify it. I think, first of all, I, I do, I want to commend you for that converse, conversation you had with your son, because I think, I don't know if you realize that you did some very key things. And the first one being by letting him know, I choose to allocate my money in this way. Right? Right. Not, I'm not choosing, right? It's not a scarcity. It's not coming from a place of scarcity. It's coming from a place of empowerment and knowing that there is plenty and I have plenty. It's just, I'm making a choice. And I think that's a very important message we have to send our children instead of saying, oh, we don't have money for that. It's right now, I'm not, I'm making a choice to spend elsewhere, right? It's a different message. Oh, what do you mean you get to choose? Yeah, I have the money, put it on a list. I'll see if another month where I'm not spending other things, I can get to that, right? It's right. it's a much more empowered conversation. And then the, the lesson of giving tzedakah or giving miser to be more specifically of taking a certain percentage of your earnings, a minimum of 10% that is just automatically given to charity is an important lesson to that kids need to have um, very early on. And certainly a child in bar mitzvah who gets bar mitzvah presents and get, gets dollars, right? That's just a responsibility that we all have. And it's so interesting that your question is, how do we make this into a more, I guess, visible system in our right. home so that our kids see it? Because the truth is, we are very detached from our money nowadays. I mean, we have Apple Pay, <laughs> credit. I mean, the more, you know, beginning with credit cards, but the more contraptions they have made, it's in order to make us feel more detached from our money. So first of all, I think we have to bring back the conversations about money to the to the dining room table. I really think it should be talked about. I, I think kids should overhear that, oh, we just gave Meister to, I don't know. They don't need to know details, but it needs to be like, it needs to be part of the flavor of what's happening in the mm-hmm. home, okay? And the other thing is just like they have, to give Meister, they should also know that you as parents or us as parents, we have certain accounts or one certain account that is just for that. So to give you an example, my husband and I have regular money dates um, where we plan up, talk about our money, talk about where it's being allocated, where it's being spent, what's happening, whatever. So one day we're sitting and it's usually no kids are around, but this particular <laughs> time, <laughs> two of the kids, you know, walked by the room where we were and one of them must have overlooked my computer or whatever and they saw that we had the screen open to our one particular bank that we bank with that has different accounts and they're labeled with names okay and they saw that it said god's blessings account and they said to the older sibling god's blessings account what's that and before my husband and i could answer because they just blurted out the older sibling who was like on the other side of the room said, that's their miser account. (laughs) (laughs) 
So to your point, I do think that we could, aside from having conversations, we definitely um, should set up systems that allow for us to have to facilitate facilitate giving the tzedakah and have a system where the money comes in and then it immediately goes out to the people or the organizations mm -hmm. that we're choosing to and teach our kids that we're doing the same when they give when they take that miser from their Hanukkah money or whatever money right if they're not bringing it directly to the place which most likely they're not right right so most often what my kids <laughs> do is they give me their miser it goes in the miser account yeah. and they tell me now send it to high lifeline now send it to this widow that you told me about or like my friend needs to right. go to camp do you know their their mother's cash app sure from here to there you know what i'm saying right it's funny because so, also it teaches them yeah. Uh, well, I was just going to say, so he like he did a little side project for me. He did sometimes he does like small little projects for me in my business, like helps me sell things for my clients or whatever. And he made a little cash. And I said to him, OK, you have to give some some maser, some sadaka. And he's like, well, how am I going to do that? I'm like, OK, here's my phone. Who do you want to give to? And he's like, I'd like to give to Magain David Adom, which is like Israeli Red Cross. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, great. So I went to Magain David Adom's website. I said, instead of me paying you the whole amount, just take my credit card and deduct how much I owe you and, and pay it. Like, just here's the app, like, just do it. And he was like, really? And I'm like, yeah, w why not? He's like, okay. And we just stood there in the parking lot, like while we were waiting online somewhere and we just did it and I'm like okay you get it and I'll give you the rest of the money like okay and I'll PayPal you the rest of the money and, and it was like such a surreal experience I'm like okay I just did that with my 14 year old son but like it just like how else are you supposed to teach them you know like yeah, so yeah it definitely is there's two sides to it because for one we need to teach them that this is the way money is managed now nowadays and this is the reality it's going to be like this for them also like even more right. than us like the distance is going to be there even more um and so these are strong experiences i would add to this though that even stronger to the extent that we can't and it, it becomes harder the older they get and it becomes harder the more that our world is digitized and our relationship with money or the way we deal with our money is more digital but the more we can introduce the experience of them actually giving the money, the right. more it, the, the impact, you know, but it, it, the opportunities become, I agree that yeah. become harder. So I had the experience that also my 14 year old just got paid for doing something and he wanted to give the miser to that same rabbi for whatever reason. He okay. said, oh, I'll give it to his shul. So mommy, can you, can you send it to, to him? I said, no, 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 no. You take the bills. And when you see him at Minyan, you give it to him. What? I'm like, yep. Like, I said that to my to son too. I'm like, do you want to give it back like to your school? And he's like, well, how would I do that? I'm like, well, you just go to the principal and hand him the money and say like, this is my money for stuck. He's like, no, that's too embarrassing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, right, okay. That they have to have this. You'll love this story. When I had one of my kids, when they turned 10 years old, it was one of those ages where, you know, you don't really need a party necessarily with friends. He just didn't, he didn't, he didn't feel like having a party with friends, but he was too, like, he wasn't a bar mitzvah boy either. Like, I don't know. It was just, so 
my gift, my son was turning 10 and we asked them, would you rather have a party or money? I think we offered him a hundred dollars and he said a hundred dollars. So my husband went with him and took out the hundred dollars and asked, and he asked him, he taught him about Meister. He knew already, but he said, okay, how much Meister do you have to take? Okay. $10. So he said, okay, how do you want the, the, the cashier to give you those $10? She could give you $10 in full in a bill that you can then give over to whoever you want, or she could split it in $1 bills. And then you could give small amounts. What would you rather? And the kid stood there and said, can we have it in dollar bills? And so she put an envelope and what he did, this was all his doing. He said, can we keep it in the glove compartment? And anytime we're driving and somebody needs, could you pull out and we give it to that person from my $10 oh, and $1 that's so bill sweet. for the next few days? That's exactly what happened. And so these are very powerful lessons. Right. That's really sweet. Oh. So, okay. So yeah. we're going in this direction. It wasn't exactly how I had planned the conversation, but. So, so what are other ways we can organize with our kids and money? Oh my goodness. With our kids and money, um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of debate about the allowance thing. Okay. I, I'm not pro or against, I don't necessarily, I just, I, I think when it comes to my kids, I'll tell you how I do it. Sadaka, my sir is like non-negotiable. It always happens. They all, they'll all do it automatically. Now, the other thing that I teach them is that some money they keep liquid in their savings account, which really is where they could draw money if they want to buy themselves something that I choose not to buy. Right. Okay. And then they should be investing. So each of my kids know that they have a long-term investment account that I have for them. And so whenever they get money, a certain, the 10% goes to Tzedakah, then they decide how much they want to keep liquid. And then a big portion of their money goes into investing because I've taught my kids really at their age, they don't need more than 35 or $50 in cash. Like, what do you need it for child? You know what I mean? Right. And most of my kids honestly have really adopted this and they like it. Like they just got their Hanukkah gelt mm -hmm. and they all were like, no, you can put most of it. Like they all told me I'll keep, keep 25. They checked first. How much, how much do I have in savings? Oh yeah, I have 35. Just keep 25 there. Cause maybe I want to buy myself. I don't know what, blah, blah, blah. And then the rest put in my investment account. So it's good for them to know there's a structure and to start teaching them that there is an organization that we first give, then we pay ourselves. Right. And right. then there's also some amount that we have to enjoy for sure. Buy yourself a book, buy, save to buy yourself a camera, whatever, you know, whatever extras you want in life and give them the opportunity to do that. But certainly teach them that there is a concept of your money growing at a faster rate than if it would just be sitting there and that that's money that they're going to have in the future. And they love having those conversations like, oh, mommy, what am I going to use that money for? I'm like, you know what? You're going to get married. You want to buy yourself a house. You want to, I don't know what you're going to use it for. It's your call, but it's there for you. So one of the things that um, started right around the time that when we were, when we made Aliyah was there, every child here in Israel gets a savings fund when they're born. Mm. And the state of Israel contributes, oh, I think it's 50 shekels a month. And, and you can choose like which kind of account, like the money goes into and, and there's different 
types to choose from, and some are good for Americans and some are not good for Americans. Americans who make Aliyah have a specific distinctive tax problem versus other expats because we are dually taxed and there's a tax treaty, but whatever. There are a lot of investment opportunities that we can't partake of because of the tax laws. Anyways, so you can pick from different funds and um, I was, and, and you can even add to the funds like a certain amount and the kids can withdraw the money when they turn 18, if they want to, mm-hmm. or uh, with no penalty, but the, the interest rate, I think it goes like up a little bit. I, I think this is how I'm remembering if they leave it in there till they're like 25 or something like that. Right. Makes sense. And and it, it's like, it's so genius. It's like teaching your kids how to say that this money is there for them. And, you know, it, it one thing, it, and people like complain about this a lot living in Israel. They're like, oh, I have to pay Bitoach Leomi, which is like the equivalent of social security. And oh, I have, if you're, if you're an independent worker, you have to pay into your pension fund by yourself. Like, nor, but, but if you're, if you're a worker, like every, like if you're an employee, everybody can, everybody is obligated, like employers are obligated to pay into your pension funds. And, and everybody's like, oh, so much money. It goes to my pension funds. But like the state of Israel, I think, does a really, really excellent job of making sure that people have enough money when they're ready to retire. And and it, and there is definitely ageism here. And um, I think the age for retiring for women is like 62 or 63. Maybe it's even 64. And for men, it's 67. I believe. And after that, it's like, it's harder for the, for people in that age category to get jobs, but they, they want people to retire at that age because the family system is so intact here. Like grandparents, they want the grandparents to be with the grandchildren. And like, this is how that they envision that that sort of happens. But what I love about it is just, it's like, it, it's, it seems like, a really big chunk of change when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s to be putting in and you you want to be a little more liquid, but it's such a machaya, you know, like when you get to retirement age and there's something there. Yep. And I mean, I can't imagine, and I'm like hoping <laughs> there's still money there, but like I think about like what's happening like with social security, let's say, and I think like, wow, they're probably like, I've worked my 40 quarters, I'm entitled to social security, like, but I probably won't get any. So it's nice to like think about how how here in Israel like these plans are happening. So yeah. if you don't live in Israel, <laughs> um, and and or you or even if you do, what are a few ways that you can organize yourself so that you have enough money to live on now, but also that you have money to live on later? You have an emergency fund. Yeah. So, so, so let me tell you, first of all, the reason these systems like the Israeli government and like the, you know, the 401k system and and the IRA system and all these things and the employee matching and all these things are created is because we tend to be irrational when it comes to money. We're not rational. Like we know we have to do certain things and we won't do it. And because of that, the system is forcing us to, uh, to, it's forcing a certain behavior. uh, Right. Saving and to, there is a fascinating. He, he happens to be Israeli and he's brilliant. A fascinating economist, uh, Dan Ariely, okay. who he's out of uh, what's 
I think Chapel Hill University. Um, anyway, Professor Dan Ariely is brilliant on anything that has to do with the way we behave irrationally around money. So check him <laughs> out. He's brilliant. But um, so some of the things we need to do because we tend to be so irrational is actually create systems for ourselves. So first of all, we should have a an account where the miser goes into and then goes out of. Because if we don't create that system, we might think we're fulfilling our obligation as Jewish people, but many, many times, more often than not, we are not really fulfilling it in the proper way that we need to. And that's not something that we want to play around with. We want to make sure that that is taken care of in the right way, because that's why God has given us the money. We're agents of that money. We want to do it in the best way possible. Second to that is the idea of building savings and exercising the savings muscle, right? We want to make sure that, which is unfortunately in America, it's not, you know, not many of us were taught how to save. And this is, you know, we, many of us grew up in an age where credit card um, debt was, you know, just the norm. And I think the trend is definitely changing, especially with this pandemic. I think now um, saving is going to become more and more fashionable. But really, practically speaking, we should set up ourselves an account where we build up to having three to six months of expenses. And that might sound like a lot, but we have to start somewhere. So you have to right. start with the account and start deciding what are you going to put in there every month and you're going to commit to it. And it doesn't have to be this huge amount where you're blowing your budget and then you kind of give up on it or your financial plan or whatever. But you have to set it up because God forbid something happens, right? There's a pandemic, you lose your job or you just need financial runway to start your new business or whatever might be, right? A health issue, your credit cards shouldn't be your emergency money. That should be your emergency money. And um, if it needs to be used, that's great. That's what it's there for, right? But additionally to that, what we were talking about long term, anybody who has the advantage of an employee, uh, an employer, I'm sorry, who provides a, a retirement plan like a 401k and a matching program on top of that, they should be taking advantage of it no matter what. Like the minute yeah. you start working your first paycheck, you enroll there. And not only that, you put the, the highest the amount. Highest amount because you think you're not going to be able to live without that money. But the truth is, it's kind of like uh, Mike Bakalowitz describes it as, you know, the toothpaste tube, you know how like sometimes you forget to get toothpaste and a couple of weeks pass by and you forget each time to get from the grocery store and lo and behold, you're running low on toothpaste, right? But somehow you keep managing to squeeze money out of the toothpaste. <laughs> so, if you, <laughs> so if you get used to living without that, 12% or 18% of your paycheck every month, you'll just get used to it. You'll manage with that. But if you right. don't train yourself to save, so that's one thing. And whoever doesn't is not, whoever's self-employed, then for sure, we should have a SEP IRA, IRA fine, you know, any, any other vehicle that we, uh, that we can set up for retirement. But I do want to say something that we don't have to make it super boring. And what I want to say is that we also have to fund accounts for our, quote unquote, joy and okay. happiness and what we want to do with our lives. You know, we, 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 money is also here to, to be enjoyed, to do a life the way we're living in alignment with our values, that we're living the life we want. And so what does that mean? If I want a certain 
let's say I want to go on a trip to Israel, or I want to have a certain type of bar mitzvah for my son, and it involves a trip to Israel. And I know this whole thing is going to cost me $15,000, right? Okay. Well, why don't I start saving for it? And through the process of opening the account and labeling the account, and it's called the bar mitzvah family trip, right? And the children know about it. And any financial conversation that happens around the household is like, right now we're choosing to invest money into the bar mitzvah Israel trip fund, right? right. And you just keep growing. And not only that, then the experience comes and you paid for your whole experience in cash and you wake up the next morning and you don't owe anybody a penny. <laughs> That's like, a nice family. It's joy, right? It's the same thing with, you know, you want to buy your first home, right? So you start building that savings muscle for that down payment for the home, right? And then when you get that, it's it's a different feeling than if you had gotten the down payment, you know, on loan from your mother-in-law or right. gifted or whatever. You Whatever we worked for, we appreciate more. And... Um, there is a lot of joy and we can have fun with it. You yeah. Know? So here, one of the nice things is I, I only have this at um, my my business bank account, um, but I bank at Bank Apo Alim and uh, they have all, all, I think all banks in Israel have this feature. It's called a picadon and it's like uh, picadon means deposit. So it's like a separate like area envelope, if you will, in your account. And I love, I mean, this is like the joy of living in Israel. I think it's like, it, it doesn't let you name the account specifically, but it, it, it puts the savings goals. And one of them is like B'nai Mitzvah. And it's like, it makes my, it makes my heart like saying like, Oh, the bank just made it an option for us, you know, like, (laughs) so Cool. It's really cool. So Those cool. kind of things never get old to me. Like, it, so I know cool. my kids probably won't ever appreciate them, but like for me, it's like it's a it's a nice it's a nice thing. Yeah, anyway, that is so cool. Yeah. Okay. So, so if any, I were to put it, yeah. if I were to put it for you in three very big ca- categories, like, okay, you know, a person should have obviously their miser account, and then when we talk about savings, savings in very broad brush strokes, you should have your savings for you know peace of mind savings, which is that cushion of three to six months of expenses, God forbid something happens, Mm -hmm. then your joy savings where you, you know, for the new purse, for the bar mitzvah, for the whatever, for the down payment on the home, for the trip to Israel, and then your future savings, which is your investments, because you want that to be growing and, you know, the interest, you want it to be compounding at a higher rate than it was sitting on a savings Well, that's a whole other episode, compound interest, right? (laughs) (laughs) The eighth magic of the, what is it? The eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, right. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about how our thoughts can affect our money. Mm. I know this is like a, a passion topic for you. Oh my and, gosh. And I'm down with it because I I think it's totally true. And one thing that um one of my friends said to me, I don't even remember who it was, was it's like just like walk away and be like, God's gonna take care of it. <laughs> like the money is there, it's coming, there's abundance, and if you just like let it come to you, it's gonna come to you and like don't always be worrying about it. And I know that sounds like a little self-righteous, like not to worry, but like if you can dial mm-hmm. back on the worry, it, it, it even when there is like a reason to worry, if you can dial back on the worry, it's like, 
I'm just going to get out of my own way and it's going to, it's going to come. So talk, talk to us about, about that idea and, and how you manage that. I think we have to stop the, I hope this is a word in English, habituation. Is that even a word? Like the, of, of, like of, the of, habit of, of worrying? Yeah, making, yeah the, the, the making a habit out of worrying. Okay. Um, we have to like, again, going back to what's Judaism and what's not. If we go back to who we are as a nation, we our fundamental is faith. And of course, that faith muscle needs to be constantly exercised so that in the practicality, it turns into complete trust, right? Like in execution, I completely trust and surrender. And this is something that I work on every day, you work on, we all have to work on. But the point being, we cannot be okay with, oh, I'm just a person who worries. We can't conform (laughs) to that because that's not who you're meant to be. As a Jew, you're meant to be a person who trusts. And like you very well said, the when I trust and the only one who can provide for that money, because that's the truth, the money's not coming from your client, it's not coming from your boss, it's not coming from your husband, it's only coming from the only source of the money, then I'm tranquil, I'm at peace. And guess what? The money comes much easier because I'm going like straight to the source, you know, right, like there's right. no interference. They're so, just an everybody else is just an agent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I treat it as an agent and I'm just calm. Like if I'm negotiating, I'm just calm. I know this is a natural process I have to go through, but I'm not relying on this conversation. I'm only relying on my conversation with the one above. Like, you know, not this, you and I, meaning the conversation with your manager or with your client or whatever it is. So that's one big, big piece of the thing that I think you know, in non-Jewish circles, I don't know how often it's get, it gets talked about, but we definitely um, all have to up our, our game when it comes to trust. And obviously it takes learning and commitment. And, you know, there's tons of things like nowadays we could just get a boost of, you know, information and snap, you know, I'm sure there's WhatsApp accounts and there's Instagram accounts like gate of trust and things that give us like that boost of right. a, a positive message to build our trust daily. But to your point about thoughts, yes, it is Judah. It is, it is, it is Jewish thought that teaches us that, our thoughts affect our emotions and affect our actions. So everything starts in the mind. And as we said at the beginning of this conversation, unfortunately, we have a lot of garbage that, you know, from the environment, from other people in our family, from whatever it may be that we it's programmed here into our subconscious, the things we saw at home, the arguments that we thought saw the fighting between two brothers your your father and your uncle or your parents or you know an experience you had whatever it is everything gets programmed and from a very early age we make a certain decision about money um it's good it's bad it's shameful i'm not good at it uh, my my sister's better at it you know women are not good at it if you're not good in math you're not good at it whatever those decisions and those beliefs are getting planted here But we have to know two things, that as we mature and we get older and we want our relationship with money to mature, we have to find what those beliefs are. We have to be really in tune with what they are because they're driving how we behave around money. They're driving whether we actually charge, whether we save, whether we, you know, avoid it, all those things. And we have to understand once we've identified what, what are those beliefs that we have? We have to understand that, oh, 
they're not us. They're just like these nasty visitors that came and they stayed. But just like they came, <laughs> I can, you know, not allow them in anymore when they knock the door. I don't have to open or I can, you know, close the door, or close the window, right? I have to start distancing myself and who I am from these thoughts. They're not really me and they're not necessarily true. They're just something that God, that I think based on some experience that I had, but that doesn't mean it's true. Right. Um, so Whenever I, think, I have a negative thought come into my head, I'm like, nope, null and void. That is not true. I don't need to believe that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So we have to become really good investigators at, oh, that's interesting. I'm thinking that, hmm, I wonder where that came from, right? And not now. I'll talk to you later. You know, like, I know where you're coming. I've heard you before, but right. I'm too busy doing what I need to be doing. So I'll check on, I'm sure you'll check back with me another time. Yeah, please don't follow up. <laughs> I know you're organized, but don't follow up, right? Exactly. Exactly. So I always say, you know, more, more, well, I don't say it, Pierre Gabbard said it, like more, more possessions, more worry. And I feel like a lot of people think like more, more money, more problems, right? Like <laughs> more money, more worry also. And I think actually the connection between um, spending and, and clutter is like, it, there's a big connection because, because we use a lot of times we use like a retail therapy as a way to, to make ourselves feel better. And sometimes I look at like what people are spending. Some of my clients are spending and I'm like, you know, it would have just been cheaper to go to therapy than to do retail therapy. <laughs> um, and people just don't, people don't necessarily um, value or they, they put, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how to form this question. People I find like are willing to spend money on what they seem, what they think are like small amounts. So for example, they're willing to go to Target and buy like 20 pieces of clothing that aren't really very good quality rather than investing in like three or four pieces that are much better quality that are more ethically made and, you know, are better for the environment. And, and I, I'm wondering where that, like, if you know, I, I don't even know if you know, we didn't discuss this. In advance, so I don't know, like, where, where does that come from? Like, why do we think it's okay to, to have abundance in stuff, but we don't view like the, the money as a bun, like, I think, I guess the question is, we don't attach like a real value to these cheaper things and, and this disposable sort of like lifestyle that a lot of people have where it's like, okay, I'm just going to go to Target and buy 20 things and it's no big deal. And who cares that I just spent $250? But if you ask me to invest $250 in a personal course for myself or to put it yeah. in an investment, I, I won't, I won't, I won't do that. Yeah. So, um, so two things, one thing I think it goes back to, like you were saying, we very often, and we do it unknowingly, we don't do it. it it's not a conscious thing that we try to, um, fulfill an emotional need with material things. Right. And some people do it with food and some people do it with shopping. Right. And there are other addictions, right. As we all know, um, it's not conscious. And because it's not, quote unquote, dangerous, 
right? Right. Or it, it could, it could end up being dangerous, it could yeah. end dangerous, but it, it's socially acceptable. There's right. not, you know, it, it, the danger, it has to get to a pretty critical place to get, but it, you know, it does break up families. But anyway, besides for that, <laughs> we tend to n- overlook it as, okay, like it's normal, like it's fine. But the truth is, if we, if we understand that our emotional needs are never going to be met, by anything material. When you have a need from your soul that you need to be fulfilled, or you have a need, like in your relationships, you need fulfillment. There is no shopping, whether it be $2,000 shopping at a boutique or $200 shopping at Target, that's going to fill it. So that's one part of the, 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 the conversation, which is we have to get to know ourselves and we have to know what we're using as our fillers or our, you know, what, what, what are, what are we doing to fill those needs and what are we avoiding? What okay. are the conversations that we're avoiding with our spouse, with our parents, with our, what are the relationship needs? What are the needs of our soul that I'm not giving it? Um, and, and try, try to understand that there's no physicality that is ever going to replace that. But then there's another part of this conversation, which has to do with the fact that very often we don't stop and think what our values are and what is really, really important to me as at the core of me, like who I am as a person and your soul is different from mine. And what's important to you is not necessarily as important to me. There are some things that are going to be similar, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's strong values like family or community or whatever, or self-growth. But to some people, self-growth is just you know, at the core of who they are. And to some people, travel and adventure is really at the core. And to some of us, beauty, you know, like there's certain things that God made us in such a beautiful, unique way. But again, we we very seldom take the time to say, you know, what do I, who am I? What do I really value? And then does my life represent that? Like if somebody were to look at my bank statements and see how I spend my money, Right. right. Or my calendar, which you will love. Right. It's like how you spend your time. Right. And they didn't know me. What would they say? Oh, well, I value a lot of shoes. And most likely, you know, I most likely I like shoes. But really, really, if you put me to the test, I value, let's just say my family, Jewish continuity, you know, adventure. So am I spending on Jewish education for my children, if that's a value? Am I spending on my marriage, right? So I think we're in the generation of self-growth and sometimes to a fault, but I think the beauty of this is like, we're in the generation of understanding who we are and how we can become better to serve the world in a better way. And the clearer we get on what is the essence of who I am and what's important to me. And now I want my life to reflect that instead of living on autopilot. And just because my neighbor gets this and my mother used to get this, and this is, this is the way it's always been. Right. And my parents lived on credit debt. And of course I have to go to target and buy a ton of things. And I don't need to really look at my financial plan because whatever my husband takes care of it. I don't need to know. We're in an era where we can actually become more aware and more conscious and make more conscious decisions. And I would say really for anybody listening, get really honest with yourself and say, what are my five core values? And does my, do my financial statements actually reflect that? And if not, then what could change? How could I adjust it? Really what needs to change? And it might mean that you have these conversations with your spouse, which I find really, really beautiful 
because right. you're building a life together and you want to make sure that the things that you really wanted to build are the things that you're building. So it's sometimes true. we're building a house of cards and, right. and why we're here to actually build. hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, each of us has our own unique light and nobody else can do the job that we were here to do. But if you don't sit down and figure out what that job is, it's like, well, how are you going to, how are you going to do it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Exactly. All right. So yeah, tell us, uh, you have, uh, a bunch of resources for our listeners today. Tell us how everybody can find you and uh, and and the resource you want to share with everyone. Of course. So first of all, thank you for having me. And you can all find me on my podcast, which you mentioned um, at the beginning of this episode. And Literally, I listened to five and yours is one of them. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And so my podcast is Jewish Latin Princess. Everywhere podcasts are, you know, you consume your podcast content, iTunes and everywhere else. And Rebecca, you've been on it. I can't I even remember what number episode you were. I think I'm like episode 28. Yeah, you're way at the beginning. I'm at the start, yeah. And it was a great interview. So that's one place where you can find me. Great content there. There's also my free Facebook group, which is um, a private Facebook group for Jewish women. It's called Jewish Money Matters, where we talk all about you know, money from a Jewish perspective, which is really great. And I have a free um, downloadable file for your listeners to, you know, get a little bit more organized with their money if they want. So what I put together is like a 48 hour Jewish money makeover. Um, and, awesome. you know, it's, yeah, it's going to go over the few things that we talked about here and the different things we need to consider as we're building our st- financial structure and all that. So that you can find at jewishlatinprinces.com forward slash makeover. Okay, so we're going to put all that in the show notes. Um, you also have something um, about money dates, right? Yes. Oh, I do have that. Anybody in this audience who wants to learn more about how to have effective money dates, which I think it's so important, or you could call it a money party if you want. That's also a fun name to give it. <laughs> but these regular dates, either by yourself, if you're not in a relationship or with your spouse or partner, where you actually talk about your money in a civilized, respectful. Yeah, because it's a great way to organize yourself and, and your yeah. money. And I exactly. and I looked at it, actually, and you give like some really great tips. Yeah, so that they can find at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash money date. Okay. Uh, is there anything else uh, you'd like to share with the listeners today, Al? I would love to share that to encourage everyone to pay attention to your relationship with money pay attention to your money if you haven't done it yet, if you've been ignoring it, if you're kind of delegating it to somebody else. Because again, it's such a wonderful resource and tool for you to build the life that you want and the life that your creator wants you to have. So, you know, let's be more proactive and really um, develop a healthy relationship with it and healthy habits around it. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Elle. I really, really appreciate it. if anybody has any questions for Yael, uh, I will put all of her contact details in the show notes on uh, Balagan Begone forward slash podcast. She's going to be, epi- she is episode 
161, so you can search for that. Um, for any of you who, in addition to organizing your money, want to declutter and organize your things, you can book time with me. Head to balaganbegone.com and you can book a done in a day declutter or you can book a 10-week online session to declutter online with me and do online coaching. It's an amazing, amazing, amazing tool. So many people have benefited from it already. You can use this whether you want to organize your home life or if you want to organize your business. For now, I'm wishing you all a great week and happy organizing. Thanks for listening to the Journey to Organization podcast. You can find Rebecca on Twitter and Instagram at BalaGonBegon and on Pinterest as Rebecca Saltzman. Visit BalaGonBegon.com for resources and to join the mailing list to get podcast updates.